Happy Victory Monday, everybody! It's been a long time since I've had a chance to say that. At least a meaningful victory. And welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. I am John Schmuck. We're joined by Lance Meadow. Taking your calls at 201-939-4513. Hopefully some happy phone calls. Again, I haven't had those in a while either. Probably since the Giants drafted yeah. Barkley. And a lot of people were excited about that. Uh, but the Giants come out, Lance, with a victory. 27-22. to 22 in a victory over the Houston Texans, the game uh, a little closer than probably not quite as close as the score might indicate. The Giants did go up two scores, and, and the Texans had kind of a you know garbage time prevent defense type of touchdown at the end of the game. Um, but a solid victory uh, against the team that was just as desperate as the Giants um, in their home opener. We thought it was going to be a tough matchup going in. It was close. It was back and forth. But to me, the difference was simple. Takeaways and red zone defense. Oh, absolutely. You got two takeaways from the Giants' defense. And also, John, the takeaways came when the Texans were knocking on the door. That's why they were so big. Listen, takeaways, you want them all the time. But when you prevent the opposition from actually getting into field goal range or getting in the end zone... Yeah, getting points. I mean, they were in field huge. goal range on both those plays. Yeah. So those, to me, were critical turning points. And then, you know, as you mentioned, the Giants on the flip side were very efficient in the red zone. They were three of four, so the offense was able to capitalize on field position. But getting to the quarterback, three sacks, two takeaways, they doubled and tripled, John, their production from the first two games combined. They only had one sack and one takeaway in the first two games. And then you walk away with three and two respectively in those two categories. I mean, that was huge. Absolutely. We'll get back to the defense in a little bit, but let's start with the offense because to me that was the story of the game. The Giants, I think... Played their best half of offensive football since probably at some point last year or maybe the year before Lance. Four straight possessions with a score to open the game. It's something we haven't seen in a very, very long time. And to me, the key was simple. There were not a lot of negative plays, if any. In the first drive, there were zero negative plays. Uh, and one penalty, a delay of game for five yards. Otherwise, it was a clean drive to get that initial touchdown. And... Eli got enough protection for the offense to function, and he didn't need a lot of it because I love the design, Lance, by Pat Shermer and Mike Shula and the offensive staff. I tracked the whole game flying home. I watched the game on tape. The entire game, they didn't take one five- or seven-step drop with Eli under center. Everything from under center was either a play-action pass or a screen pass. Every other pass play came out of shotgun. You do that so Eli can get the ball settled, get the ball out really, really quickly. And that's how they operated in the you know first few drives of the game. The offensive line wasn't perfect. You can even argue it wasn't great. Nate Solder just at his conference call said he needs that group to play better, and they do. But it was good enough to let the offense function, and they used all these crossing routes against the Texans. And whether they were in man, they couldn't stay with the receivers going across the field. Or if they were in zone, the linebackers weren't getting in the passing lanes. And Eli was picking them apart. And I thought the combination of the game plan from the coaching staff and then the lack of mistakes from the Giants players on offense and the execution was all the difference. Last week, Lance, it was errors in pass protection. It wasn't guys getting beat one-on-one. -on -one. It was mistakes and errors in protections, sliding, communication, things of that nature. We didn't have one free runner at the quarterback the entire game on Sunday. The Giants offensive line cleaned all that up. You want to give credit to John Greco? Fine. New center. I'm going to give a credit to the whole group. No missed assignments. And put all, these, put all those things together. That's how you have a 
first half offensively like the Giants had. Yeah, J.J. Watt had three sacks, but, I mean, those were just one-on-one individual battles that he won. So it, and the all came in the if, second half, too. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. as if anybody just gave him a free path to the quarterback. He fought, he battled. Listen, you're talking about a player that's a three-time NFL defensive mm-hmm. player of the year. He leads the NFL in tackles for loss since 2011. So everybody's going to struggle against him. But with that being said, to your point, you also didn't have penalties, too. Those mental mistakes. Nate Solder did have the holding penalty, but other than that, John... The offensive line didn't shoot itself in the foot. Three penalties, 20 yards. That was big. Yeah, the delay of game penalty and the Nate Solder holding penalty. That was the only mishaps from an offensive standpoint. Janoris Jenkins had the defensive holding call. There were two other penalties, Ray Ray Armstrong and Sterling Shepard, the taunting, but they were offset by other penalties. And the Ray Ray Armstrong penalty was not the correct penalty Well, because he didn't get the face mask. It was the side of the helmet. And as far as Sterling Shepard is concerned... He's lucky that the Texans had a penalty on that one because, you know, that could have given the Giants all of a sudden a precarious spot in terms of field position. It could have backed them up. Yeah, so you don't want to necessarily give free gifts to the opposition or hurt yourself, I should say, as a result of just going back and forth with Aaron Colvin, who was clearly a college teammate of his at Oklahoma. I mean, it's not even a guy that there's bad blood involved, and Shepard clarified that after the game. But they cleaned up those mental mistakes, so that was huge. They weren't playing behind the chains, John, throughout the entire game. That was a big issue against the Jaguars and the Cowboys. People don't understand. You play third and long football. I don't care how much offensive talent you have. You're only going to be able to sustain those drives for so long. And, and here's the telling numbers. They were 7 of 13 on third down, John. They had, though, 8 downs of those 13 for 5 yards or less. Those are manageable third downs. They converted 6 of those 8 third downs. You're taking advantage of the manageable third downs. And they had 5 for 7 yards or more. So the balance was in favor of manageable third downs as opposed to lopsided in favor of those third and longs. And that's why they executed to the degree they did. And, you know, speaking of Eli Manning's execution, John, six of six on that final drive that ultimately led to Sterling Shepard's touchdown. When they needed him the most, when they needed him to make the good decisions, when they needed him to protect the football, he came through. That's what you want out of your star quarterback. And it's not like there were passes that were thrown that could have been intercepted and were dropped or close to being intercepted. I mean, the closest one was probably Lance, the really awesome pass he threw to Beckham in that little window between the safety and the corner over Jonathan Joseph's outstretched hands. But that was just a great pass. No other pass was close to being intercepted. They killed the Texans in the middle of the field. Eli Manning was accurate. 25 of 29 for 297 yards and two touchdowns. That is as good of a performance as you can have. 132.3 quarterback rating. So, know nothing about Eli Manning. If you give the guy time, he'll be able to perform for you more times than not. So let's put that aside uh, for a moment. Rushing the football. I thought the interior of the offensive line lands did a really good job running it. I thought Patrick Omame easily had his best game as a giant. He's the one that had the key block on Barkley's first touchdown run. He got to the second level and blocked Jack Zach Cunningham, who, boy, he had a rough day. He gave up that play. He gave up the, the Red Ellis seam play. And he gave up the first down throw to Saquon Barkley on the sideline. Yep. So... They were, uh, something tells me they had a big red circle around him when they looked at film during the week because, boy, first time I picked a couple years ago, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech? Vanderbilt. Or, I Vanderbilt. Know, right? I knew it was one of those, AC, with I, Vanderbilt. I knew it was one of those yeah. ACC teams that wore, <laughs> like, black and gold. Um, <laughs> but he had a rough, 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 rough 
day at the office. But when you run it like the Giants did, 27 carries, 114 yards, you get in those reasonable third downs, you don't have negative plays. And when you look at the offense struggling, Lance, in the second half, and, and this is a point I made at the end of my game note story, which is on Giants.com, you understand why it's a mistake sometimes to always put everything on the quarterback. It was the same scheme. It was the same player in Eli Manning playing the same level of football. But the Giants failed to score points. Okay? Well, why is that? Well, it's pretty simple. The first drive, Manning did throw a little bit too long to Cody Latimer on a deep throw. So that was fair. The next drive, you had a third and 11 because Barkley had a no gain on a first and 10. And then Bark- and then there was a short pass to Saquon Barkley for negative one yards that put him in third and 11. Uh, the next play, you had the offensive holding on Nate Solder erasing that Beckham screen pass. That put him in a second and 15. Then Manning got sacked, and that put him in third and 25. Then the Giants' next drive, second play. Manning sacked from a minus seven, and then on a third and 10, he sacked for a minus nine. Negative plays yeah. and penalties. If you stay out of those, you have a good chance of scoring points, and for the most part... The Giants did. Yeah, that's why it was sort of a tale of two halves in my mind, John, sure. in terms of offensive production. Really good start. Then they came out flat to start the second half, but regrouped with that final drive, as I mentioned, where Eli Manning was 6 of 6. The other thing that I think is very important to note, big explosive plays, much more apparent in this game than we've seen in the first two games. The Giants had six Big plays, and big plays, for those of you who are unfamiliar, are runs of 10 or more yards and pass plays of 20 or more yards. How many how many plays of 20 or more yards did they have? Do you know the answer to that? I'm not a big fan of runs over 10. Okay, well, they had eight total in this game. Okay. Six total in the first two. The plays of over 20 yards, Odell Beckham had two. Sterling Shepard had a 23-yard grab, so that made three. And did Barkley have a 20-yard run? Barkley, I believe, had a 24-yard run, that's I want to say. So that's four. And Barkley had a 21-yard reception as well. So it looks like... Beckham, five. Three, so and then like five. what about Cody Latimer? What was his uh, longest? 15. Okay. 15. So I want to say five of the eight then, John. That's good, though. Five five in one week is strong. That's a good number for 20-plus-yard plays. And that was something that was missing from this offense in the first two games. Now, and it was mostly catch and run, by the way. It wasn't a lot of passes down the field, correct. which is fine. But Who you'll cares? take that. Absolutely. Because and the way that... And we talked about it last week. The way the Texans were playing, Lance... They played a lot of deep zone. They're not going to let the ball go over the top, so they had to work that middle of the field in order to be efficient. Well, and that's what the Cowboys were doing, too. They were keeping all their personnel in front of them, but they also did a nice job not being forced into a position where they missed a lot of tackles. Well, here's the thing. Cowboys personnel in the middle of the field is better. Yeah. You don't see Sean Lee and Jalen Smith running around on the Texans' defense, do you? Well said. Different Absolutely. story. Well, because Houston's defense is banking on getting to the quarterback and not necessarily Correct. leaving their linebackers and safeties out to dry, whereas Dallas's defense is built a little bit differently where they're like, all right, Demarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory, you don't get to the quarterback, it's okay. Well, We've got confidence in the guys in the middle of the field. And, of course, the Giants giving them constant free runners to the quarterback probably didn't hurt Well, either. of course, yes. <laughs> that certainly made their job yeah, a I little think, bit right? easier. There's no doubt about that. But I think the Giants did a nice job capitalizing in the middle of the field and also between Barkley and... And Beckham forcing the initial tackler to miss and then picking up the extra yeah. chunky yards, whether it be five or seven yards. Hey, John, that's an extra first down here. Then. And both of those guys were a shoestring tackler two away from breaking a really long one. There were a couple plays where last line of defense just got the guy down where it could have became into, you know, became a very big play. So that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, before we move to the defense, uh, the elephant in the room that everyone wants to talk about, I wanted to save it for last on the offense because. 
Um, I think it's a bogus narrative that needs to be debunked a little bit. And listening to a few minutes of the radio this morning coming in and then Carl Banks did a spot in FAN, there seems to be the idea out there that the only reason the Giants' offense had success in the first half of this game is because Eric Flowers wasn't in the game and Chad Wheeler was. It's utter nonsense. And Chad Wheeler did the best he could. He played fine, especially in the first half. He gave the offense enough time to function. Um, he also gave about five or six tackles for loss, including three sacks. Um, which is a lot worse than what Eric Flowers did last week against yeah. the Cowboys, by the way, and just as bad, if not worse, than what Eric Flowers did in week one against the Jaguars. So, again, I'm not trying to pound Chad Wheeler here because he was put in a very difficult situation against J.J. Watt, and Pat Shermer said that himself on his conference call today, that, look, he's, he's going to get beat one-on-one -on -one by J.J. Watt. It happens. It, he's a great player. We get it. And Wheeler fought. He did some good things in the running game. But at the same time, the reason the line struggled against Dallas Lance was as a unit. They did not do protections cor correctly, along with the running backs and the tight ends, by the way. And they had a lot of you know mental execution mistakes, not physical getting beat one-on-one -on -one mistakes. Those went away. And by the way, Eric Flowers wasn't one of the guys that had a lot of those mental mistakes last week. Well, he had one of his best performances. So, let, so let's not turn this into, oh, Eric Flowers didn't play, and that's why Eli Manning had confidence, and that's why the Giants won this football game. It's not true. I looked at the tape. It's not true. And that's all I have to say about that. Well, and what I'll add to that, John, is first of all, I always get tired when people analyze football games and they want one scapegoat to simply explain why a team won or lost the game. It's just, it's too simplistic of a response. Football, yes, the ultimate cliche, it's a team sport. That goes without saying. But what people want is they want to know, okay, the reason why the team lost by five points or won by five points is specifically because of this one player. And even when Eric Flowers had his fair share of ups and downs, John, to say that he was the only reason why the Giants fell short is misleading. Just like in last week's game, people were having the debate, which you started the show off with, Eli Manning. Does he have enough gas in the tank? Was he to blame because he's not a mobile quarterback? And then, you know, the more and more you watch the film and you look back, it was a variety of factors why they lost to the Cowboys. It wasn't just one right tackle or one quarterback and so forth. So to simply say the Chad Wheeler flower switcheroo equated to a victory is coincidental in my mind. I got a question for you, Lance. Let's say Al Gogolchi doesn't get that interception, okay? Let's say Lamar Miller doesn't fumble. And the Texans somehow put up a you know thirty points in this game, okay? And the Giants' offense sputtered the way it did in the second half. J.J. Watt had three sacks. He had a forced fumble on Eli Manning that um, turned a potential Giants touchdown into a field goal. Uh, he had two tackles for loss in the running game in the backfield, where if he beat Wheeler cleanly, let's just go into this imaginary world for a second and imagine it was Eric Flowers at right tackle giving up those plays and not Chad Wheeler. What would we be hearing on the phones today on Big Blue Kickoff? Oh, we'd be absolutely be hearing about Eric Flowers. There's no doubt about it. Endlessly. Yeah. Well, because Endlessly. if you don't like a player, regardless of whether they do well or bad, you're going to continue the narrative because you Correct. just don't like that player. Correct. The facts are not necessarily going to change your opinion. So the people that dislike Eric Flowers, the fact that it was refreshing to not have him in the game and see Wheeler, whether Wheeler played Pro Bowl football or not, the bottom line is Flowers wasn't in the game. So, you know, once again, if you have personal feelings and opinions, we're not here to change those personal feelings and opinions. Right. We're just here to have a fair, balanced conversation about truly the factors that led to the Giants winning and the factors that led to the Giants losing in the first two games. But I think you actually hit on a really good point. I'll take it a step further. You know, what happens on that first drive, John? 
if the Texans punch it in. Remember, they were knocking on the door, and B.W. Webb, by the way, made a great play on Will Fuller because he pushed him out of bounds. Fuller catches the ball, yeah. but because of the rules of the NFL, you push him out of bounds while he's airborne. He doesn't land in the end zone. It's not a score, but they don't make that play. To your point, the Alec Ogletree interception. Lamar Miller doesn't fumble. Let's not act as if the Texans didn't move the ball up and down the field and have some opportunities to walk away with touchdowns. The difference was the Giants were opportunistic. Sure. They kept them in field goal range as opposed to end zone range. That was the big difference. Now let's talk about the defense real yeah. quick, then we'll get to your calls at 201-939-4513. I'm sure I've annoyed a lot of people with that statement because I know that's what the big narrative this morning, but it's, it's really not that simple. We're here to ruffle feathers. Um, so absolutely. No yeah. um, defensively, Lance, um, let's talk about the Giants' defensive front. I think they were the difference uh, for me defensively. They did an excellent job against the run. People throw out uh, the overall running statistics, but that really doesn't do them justice because Deshaun Watson in this game had five carries for 36 yards. Their running backs rushed it 14 times for 23 yards. That is a phenomenal defensive yeah. performance. And three guys that stood out, Snacks Harrison was dominant, lived in the backfield. Dalvin Tomlinson was nearly as dominant. He was living in the backfield. You got no push on either one of those guys the whole game by the Texans, who continued to try to run up the middle for some reason instead of running outside. <laughs> Don't know why. Um, and Kerry Wynn. Yeah, absolutely. Who is a guy that I, I got a tweet last week, can the, can the preseason Kerry Wynn please show up? Well, there he was because he pressured the passer. Um, the first time the Texans got inside the 10-yard line, in fact, they had a second and goal at the two. He had a tackle for a three-yard loss to turn it into third and goal from the five. He was also nearly in on the tackle the play before Connor Barwin got Lamar Miller down at the two. Um, he had the great hustle play when he rushed the passer, a dump off to Miller. He comes from behind, knocks the ball away, causes a fumble, which takes points off the board for the Houston Texans, and he played an excellent, excellent game. So for me, those three guys up front, they only had three sacks, Lance, in the passing game, only three. So it's not like they were knocking Watson around. But there were a lot of times where they had to chase him out of the pocket. And I thought, looking at the tape, there were going to be opportunities down the field if Watson had a clean pocket. They made him scramble, and when he was escaping the pocket, he didn't do a great job of keeping his eyes downfield. So he missed yeah, a couple well, he of missed deep balls that he could have had if that pass rush didn't get there. Connor Barwin and Kareem Martin are not going to show up on the stat sheet in this game in terms of sacks. But their pressure on a couple plays, they forced Kareem Martin, uh, forced a holding penalty on that touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins. Now, they scored a few plays later, so it didn't with matter, but still, that pass rush. And then Connor Barwin, there was a play with 43 seconds to go in the second quarter when the Texans were in that two-minute drill situation where Will Fuller had beaten B.W. Webb outside with no safety help. He beat him on an inside release. He was ahead of him by two and a half yards, but Connor Barwin beat his man off the edge. Watson had to scramble, didn't see the receiver deep, and they missed the touchdown opportunity there. So I thought those guys really made the difference. You talked about the struggles the Texans had pass protecting on the offensive line all week last week. Their offensive line has had just as many issues as the Giants, and I thought the Giants' defensive line took advantage of that. Well, speaking of the Texans' offensive line, seven penalties, four <laughs> against the offensive line. It was not a good day for Davenport, by the way. Julian Davenport had uh, three false start penalties and a holding penalty. It, <laughs> it's, it's almost like more than one NFL team have problems Stunning. at offensive tackle. Yeah, I know. Well, There the, aren't just guys on the street that are good. Way, I haven't heard that before. I don't know. The way sometimes we have conversations on this program and, and get it 
this is geared towards Giants yeah. fans, but you know <laughs> the Giants don't just live in their own bubble on their own island. It's an issue across the board. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks are the Monday night game with the Bears. Now they are coming off a victory against the Cowboys, but you know Seattle's had its fair share of issues on the offensive line. Teams are dealing with injuries. Teams are looking for saviors, and they just don't grow on trees. But the Cardinals, the Bills, oh, Cardinals the, is another a good laundry example. list. Yeah. yeah, Bills lost Eric Wood to retirement, Richie Incognito. They you traded know, Cordy Glenn yeah. to the Bengals. So you take into consideration all these teams. The, the Giants are certainly not no. in their own little category where they're the only team looking for help or trying to tweak and strategize around problems. But getting back to this game, as far as the defense is concerned— there was another play I thought where Watson, and I don't remember what part of the game is, he had DeAndre Hopkins flaring towards the right corner of the end zone, and it was a wide throw. Hopkins got like a fingertip on it. That was another throw deep down the field, John, where he was forced out of the pocket. And listen, statistically it's shown when Watson faces pressure, he's not nearly as effective as a down-the-field thrower. As so any type of the thrower. The Giants yeah. took advantage of that. And, and that's, but see, the key is, John, getting him out of the pocket is only half the battle then you have to make sure that you maintain lane integrity. And I thought the Giants did a good job of that because I didn't think Watson, while he scrambled here or there, I don't think he ruined the game. No, he did not. They, they were not back-breaking scrambles. Where it was like, uh-oh, mm -hmm. here we go, a 30-yard run. See, Bortles had a 41-yard run, which was huge because of field position. Dak Prescott had 7 for 45. And it may have not been one 30-yard run, but I thought it changed field position. I'm That's why to, some of those runs were key. I think only one Watson scramble resulted in a first down, maybe. I think you're right. I, I can only I remember only one, one where he was weaving in and out of traffic. I don't remember another play where I felt, wow. it's a good point. I mean, the Giants are in a precarious spot. So, you know, they were getting after the quarterback, but at the same time, it wasn't sacrificing the integrity of the defense. And that was big. So, you know, when you do those two things simultaneously, you execute, you're going to put yourself in a position to win. And that's exactly what the Giants' defense did. They didn't necessarily put the offense in a precarious spot where the offense said to itself, boy, we got to put 35 points on the board. Because, you know, when the Giants put 20 points on the board in the first half, they're up 20 to 6. You say to yourself, yeah, maybe one touchdown, they should be in a good position. And that's exactly how the game turned out. But, you know, in other games that we've seen, not just for the Giants, John, across the NFL landscape, you have a game where you score 20 points in the first half. You only put seven on the board in the second half. You know, sometimes that's entering that gray area where a play here or there could be the difference and you wind up coming out on the wrong side of the ball game. But I thought the Giants defense made enough plays down the stretch, specifically in the red zone, and that was a big difference maker. All right, 201 201-939-4513. We'll get to the other details on the game as we move along and take your calls. We want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the football season. Let's go to Doug in Rochester. He's going to lead us off. What's up, Dougie Fresh? Hey, what's up? What's up, John? I haven't talked to you guys in a while. How are you guys doing? Doing all right, man. Doug, what's on your mind? Um, I want to say Eli, Eli Manning, um... If he gets a blocker, he's just as good as uh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Eli is an accurate throw. He proved that yesterday. See, Doug, see, Doug, here's the Eli thing. Did, I think it was a slant to Sterling Shepard on the second field goal. Uh, Odell was open down the right side line. 
he, he faked inside. He was open in the end zone. So I think that's the third game Eli missed Odell in the end zone. Rondé Bob reported it out to show the replay. But yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but on that situation, Doug. Doug, but on that situation. Yeah, but Doug, so it, Doug it, in that situation, it's a third and four. He's trying to get yeah. the first down. So if he sees yeah. that, that develop quicker over the middle and he's guaranteed a first down, are you really that mad at him for taking the guaranteed first down no, instead of no, passing on Shepard? I'm just saying, um, he missed, this is the third game he missed Odell in the end zone. Odell's one-on-one. He didn't miss him. He didn't miss him. He didn't even. You got to take a look at him because Odell's going to beat that guy like he's been doing one-on-one. He was opening the end zone. Well I done. I know he's trying to get the first, the first down, but you got to glance at Odell, too, to see what he's doing over there. Yeah, but Shepard's yeah. the first read. They're trying to get the four yards for the first down. So you're, you're saying, your, John, right. I, I'm glad they did. But another thing is... Um, Pat Schirmer, um, they scored seven points in the second half. They kind of like got out of their play call because, like, even Ronnie Barber says, you, you got to keep your foot on the well, gas. Doug, I don't think they got out of their play call, Doug. got teams coming up like New Orleans. Doug, I don't think they can Listen, Doug, we're going to lower you there just because we want to try to chime in here. I uh, want to have a little bit back and forth. I don't think it was the play calling in the second half. First of all, J.J. Watt had his three sacks in the second half. Houston was able to get a lot more pressure. We I read you that the, the Giants were in some tougher third-down predicaments. Because they, of negative plays. Correct. And they didn't run the ball as effectively. So to say that that's just the play calling, sometimes I think you got to say Houston made adjustments, won some one-on-one -on -one individual battles, and the Giants didn't have favorable down hey, and look, distance. And the offense is going to make some mistakes. And, Doug, you can you know come back on here. You know, they're, they're going to hey, have— you know, he was still talking through us, which is amazing. I tell you, Doug's got a talent, Dave, unlike we, anybody else that we've we had on this we, program. We Doug's in his own world, yeah, just Doug, having a conversation Doug, with himself. Doug's flying. <laughs> Doug's flying. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, Doug, uh, I, I went through it with you on the play-by-play. -play. The first drive of the second half, they had a reasonable third and five, and Eli tried to go deep to Cody Latimer, overthrew him a little bit. Um, but otherwise, it was penalties or sacks or negative runs that turned you into third and long situations. You're not going to succeed on every drive. This isn't arena football. This isn't the Saints playing the Falcons, where apparently you can succeed on every drive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, can they ever. And the play calling didn't change. They were running the same plays. That's the point that I made. Sometimes the execution is just not there. Whether it's a penalty or a negative play, you're getting third and long, and you have trouble. And by the way, the other team has a say in this. J.J. Watt's really yeah. good. He I was mean, disruptive. Hell, it's gonna happen. That's the type of player he is. And Odell and Eli Manning did not miss Odell Beckham deep in week number two. I went through that play with you last week. He threw the ball to Latimer, and about four seconds later, after the corner and safety went up to play the pass, then Odell was open deep. Well, and the other thing is week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars, John, because this is also another one of those narratives. He missed him in the end zone because it was overthrown. But what people are not taking into consideration is there's dynamics of that play where Eli all of a sudden is pressured. He has to get rid of the football much sooner than he anticipated, and that impacts the throw. And after Eli threw the football, Barry Church had reached out and grabbed Beckham's arm, slowing him down a little bit too. Once again, are, are we looking at those again, things or are we just saying guys, people missed? Manning's not perfect. He overthrew Latimer on the deep pass a little bit. He, he only had four incomplete passes, but... There's this thing now where you look at every play on tape and you say, oh, he missed that guy deep. Don't you guys understand that if you analyze every quarterback in the NFL, there's going to be plays where he doesn't hit the open guy occasionally? 
No one's going to be 100% on those things. There was... I mean, come on. There was an instance related to this, and I'm not trying to get off topic, in the Bears-Cardinals game. Mitchell Trubisky, they're on the goal line, essentially. He's got one receiver to his left. He's got four to his right, John. There's only three Cardinals defenders lined up with four Bears receivers. You would think perhaps you'd look on that side because you'd have favorable numbers, right? Instead, Trubisky immediately throws to his left. So, you know, there's another example. Now, Trubisky's a much younger quarterback than Eli Manning, but the point is quarterbacks miss perhaps more favorable opportunities. It happens. And again, you, you go through the reads and the progressions on that third down. You're trying to get the first down. Shepard's open on the slant. You take what's there. Move the Did chains. Beckham happen to beat his guy off the line of scrimmage on that play? Absolutely. That I'm not debating with. I saw that on the film, and I'm sure they showed it on TV as well. But then you're telling the quarterback to pass up the guaranteed first down, not to throw it deep. So I can't get on the quarterback for that. I, I, I just I, I don't think it's fair. 201-939-4513. And I mean to cut you off, John. Yeah, I, I want to bring up just one other point yeah, related please. to that. Pat Shermer spoke about this in his postgame presser. On the touchdown play to Sterling Shepard, they said it was intended for Odell Beckham. But Beckham saw a lot of pressure and attention his way. So instead, Eli Manning made the right read and threw it to Shepard where only he could get it, and he got the touchdown. So, you know, as many times as we talk about he shouldn't have went for the— or he missed the home run opportunity, but then how many plays does he then make the change where the first read— is not where it should be, and he doesn't force it into that read. Instead, he goes to the open man, and they actually execute a play and get on the board. We want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the year. Let's go to Scott, New Mexico. He's up next. What's up, Scotty, Do Hi, guys. How you doing? What's up, nice guy? Uh, I rarely say this, but I agreed with... Uh, both of you on your uh, review or synopsis of how the Giants won this game, uh, I think all the points you made were exactly where they should be. Uh, but I had a question, uh, and I'm talking about the defense right now. Sure. I, uh, as I looked at the statistics after three games, the Giants are right in the middle. They're giving up about 340 yards per game. But if you take away the Prescott run, you take away the Bortles run, they'd be in the upper echelon. And I talked about whether Betcher can maintain this, get into a top five to seven or eight top defense. So I'm wondering if the consistency can last, because I think they're averaging about 20 points that they're giving up. Well, Scott, here's so, what I would say. I would say it's fair to take those quarterback runs over your gen- out of your generic how do the Giants fare against the run question? Right. Because you want to see how they stop running backs because that's your generic run play. So I think that's fair. I can't take them out of the occasion completely because that's still how your defense is playing overall. So there are two other things that I would say. One, the Giants haven't exactly played the top offenses in the league yet this year. Uh, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys offense has been pretty terrible, to be quite frank. They have one of the worst offenses in the league. The Jaguars just scored six points against the Tennessee Titans. And the Houston Texans haven't exactly lit up the scoreboard either. So I think this week against the Saints will be a really, really good test to see exactly where this defense is. If you can get Olivier Vernon back, that's going to help a lot. If you get Eli Apple back, that's going to help a lot. But I will say this. Far too many chunk plays in the middle of the field in this game against the Texans, especially in the second half. And Drew Brees is better than any quarterback in the football finding those windows in the middle of the field to throw the football. 
The Giants are going to either have to adjust how they're playing in the secondary. And I think Betcher, by the way, did a great job of mixing coverages this week to make up for the loss of Eli Apple. I thought he was phenomenal. But you're going to have to clean that stuff up with the safeties and the linebackers in the middle of the field if you want to slow the Saints down next week. Otherwise, they are going to march up and down the field on you. This is also the first time this season that they're going up against a running back who is just as deadly as a receiver and that is Alvin Kamara. Not to say that Ezekiel Elliott and Leonard Fournette can't catch the ball out of the backfield, but Kamara's on a completely different level. He's basically in that Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley area. So, you know, middle of the field discipline is going to be extremely key because Drew Brees is not necessarily looking for the 30-yard home run anymore. He'll just pick you apart with the five-yard pass, the six-yard pass, then he'll hit you for the 20 yards. So, you know, this is going to be a really good test because they're going up against a true pocket passer who will move out of the pocket and will try to extend plays, but he is such... The level of execution that he has when he surveys the field is unlike anybody else I've ever seen. Right. But the converse is true because the Saints have given up... over 400, close to the bottom. They're oh, defensively, yeah. They're dead last, last so scoring defense. And how many yards they're giving up. So Absolutely. With the weapons the Giants have, does it balance out a little bit in the game that's coming up? Oh, yeah. Look, the offense is going to have to go to work. Um, there's no question about it, Scott. And, and they're going to have the opportunity to do it, too. Like you mentioned, the Saints defense, which to me was the difference in them making a deep playoff run last year, has falling apart to start the year. Now, it's still early. Things can turn around. But you're right. It's been an absolute mess. So there will be opportunities for the Giants to make plays next week. No question about it. Okay. My last point has to deal with uh, Kerry Wynn. I know, uh, John, in the beginning, you were worried whether he can transfer to the – you know, to the regular season from his preseason play, which he played very well. Yeah, and I was just curious what your assessment is now, because arguably you could say he's one of the best linemen on the Giants' uh, defensive line right now. Yeah, I, I'd say he, and Scott, thanks a lot for the call. I think he'd probably thanks. be, you're welcome, I think he'd probably be the Giants' third best defensive lineman after Snacks and Tomlinson right now. And again, I'm not counting the pass rushers as defensive linemen, I mean the interior guys. That's fair. I mean, B.J. Hill had his first career sack. Uh, certainly is starting to flash a little here. You know what happened on that sack, by the way? I saw it on tape. I didn't see it live either. <laughs> As Alfred Blue leaks out of the backfield into a route, he clips Martinez Rankin's leg, <laughs> and Martinez. that's why Martinez Rankin just kind of tipped over and fell backwards. Well, I mean, he'll he just got, sort of... Well, but he tripped over, he tripped over yeah, Blue's leg. Because he lost his foot. So, look, yeah. obviously, B.J. Yeah, Hill gets, get gets credit for it, no yeah. question about it. But, yeah, he got a little bit of an assist there from Alfred Blue. <laughs> Well, the Texans didn't help themselves too much when it came to the running game and the offensive line. So In a lot of ways. I'm not necessarily surprised. But to Scott's point, yeah, Kerry Wynn, and when Pat Shermer spoke to the media earlier today, he just ran through Kerry Wynn's box score. And every time Pat Shermer, you thought he was going to wrap up, he throws out another thing that Kerry Wynn did in the game, whether it be special teams, whether it be yeah, he defense. Was great. He was great. He was all over the place. He was a disruptive player. That's what you want to see. And he knocked the ball loose, and then credit to Dante Dion for being in the right place at the right time, covering it up. But, you know, you need players like that on your team. It reminds me of a Stevie Brown when he was a safety on the Giants, and that year he had, what, like eight interceptions? He was always around the football, had a knack for finding the football. You get guys on your team to capitalize week to week, you're going to create opportunities for yourself. Yeah, no question. Always useful to have those guys that can step in and play multiple positions as well. Yeah, versatility. And tackle, base, sub, you name it. Len in Columbia, Maryland is up next. Hello, Len. Hey, how you doing, guys? What's up, buddy? All right, Len. Well, dinner tasted better last night. I'm sure it did. <laughs> the flight home was a lot that better, was a too. Nice win. <laughs> yeah. I, 
the, the, only, the only bad thing about my experience with the game yesterday was it wasn't on here because the Ravens were home and the Redskins were home at 1 o'clock. Oh, boy. So I had to find my way to the sports bar. Uh, couldn't hear anything that the announcers were saying, but I sure as hell could watch well, it. Well, let and me tell a, you. That was a nice win. Len, that was a nice don't, win. Don't feel so bad because my understanding is that Rondé Barber had a rough time of it on TV. I did not see did it, he? but okay. I, I had reports that um, it was rough going for him. Oh, boy. Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, a couple of uh, you know, a couple of positives. Um, you want, well, you got to start with the win. Um, that's so secondly, um, that's probably the last time we're going to have to play JJ Watt. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> yes, I don't I think, think we'll that's... see him again in a regular game. And for me, that's that's a positive. Maybe four years you know, from you know, now, you might. Terrific possible. player. You know, terrific player. And um, does have a lot of mileage on him because he missed so many. Yeah, games. he does. You I may, think may, that's yeah. probably the last time we're going to. That's the last time we're going to see him. And. Um, Thirdly, um, you know, looking forward to Sunday. I think coming off that win, that's there's going to be a nice vibe at home uh, against the Saints, and that's that's always nice. I think maybe we can capitalize on some, you know, home field advantage. But I think it's going to be a different crowd after a win than after, uh, you know, an 0-3 start. Um, listen, one, you know, a couple other things, John. I'm I'm glad you mentioned the, the play by D.W. Webb because it helps me to. Um, you know, talk about something that we talked about last week, yeah. which was, you know, you don't you don't need to make three interceptions uh, to to you know to have a part in the game and contribute. And and there's a play by the backup D.W. Webb. I mean, these guys are on the roster for a reason. I, I I know if the backups were as good as the starters, the backups would be starting. But still, you know, these guys made some plays. Dion with the fumble recovery. You know, you talked about um, you know Barwin and and uh, you know and and uh, Carter. You're making some plays, and I think the last time uh, you and I talked last week, John, we said the big big advantage. I thought, and you, I think you agreed with me. And the big advantage the Giants would have in this game is Snacks Harrison playing over that center, and she's uh, he just dominated. Oh, yeah, Nick Martin. Yeah. yeah, Martin, over Martin. And, it, you know, if, if you're running a 3-4 defense and the offense has to devote two blockers to keep that nose tackle control under control, those other two defensive linemen and the linebackers ought to be make, make plays. And we, there's just no, no way to underestimate, underestimate the contribution that Harris yeah, made. Yeah, and Len, for a nose tackle to lead your team in tackles in a game is extraordinary. And that's what Damon Harrison did yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Usually it's holding up, you know, just yep. holding up the blockers. Yeah, and then the other guys and, at the extra uh, layer. You know, but, and, and you know, good point, John, because it does look modest. Five ta- I think he had five tackles. Had maybe seven. four and one. Maybe four seven, and actually. one. I think, he had five, I think he had five full and two assists. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, you know, it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but what he's really doing is tying up blockers. Mm-hmm. And, and that negated the, you know, the run game. Yeah. And, again, uh, you know, second and eight, second and nine, and – Boy, that's that's a lot better than you know the first half of opening week when yeah. we, you know second and three after Fournette got some yardage. So look, where there's an advantage, I mean you got to dominate. That's where you you know what on Wheeler. I mean that's an advantage. It, it didn't work in terms of the win, but um, you know when you've got that advantage, the other the player on the other side has got to you know you got to you, you you know you have to play well. So, you know, nice effort by everybody. I like the contribution by the people coming off the bench. Everybody seemed to contribute. Um, you know, can't think of anybody who had a really bad game. I'm going to give, a, I'm going to give a, an okay to Wheeler. 
yeah, he gave up the sacks and so forth. Yeah, it's it's what, but you know, it's it's Watts just better than he is. <laughs> Understatement. But you know, there weren't the you know there weren't the tripping penalties. <laughs> Going out on a limb. You know, and we're and we're not running the second and fourteen, yes. second and nineteen. Agreed. And you know, we you know we no, put ourselves warm. in position that way, and I think we can do that on the. I think we can do that Sunday against New Orleans. I'm sorry, you were going to say something, John. No, no, I didn't no. mean to interrupt. No, no, you're fine, Len. That's good. Are you, uh, uh, i got a bunch of calls I want to get to, Len. we got to yeah, run, yeah, okay? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you, for buddy. taking the call. Let's go, Giants. I appreciate Hi, it. Yeah, he wanted to have that one tackle for loss on a run. This was actually on um, – he had a tackle for a two-yard loss in the Giants' final game-winning drive that put them in second and 12. Um, but then uh, Barkley caught two straight passes for 31 total yards which uh, kind of put them over the top there. Um, there was one other. I remember the play where Watts just kind of got Barkley as soon as he touched the ball in the handoff. Yeah, I and remember which play you're talking find, about. Barkley that might have been ran up the, the gut, and then Watts somehow just oh, he, came he, out of nowhere. He almost took the handoff. Yeah. <laughs> and got tremendous penetration. That might have been in the first half. I don't see it here in the second half. Anyway, 201-939-4513. Dave and Cranford's up next. Hi, Dave. How are you guys? Doing well, Dave. Right, What's Dave? up? Well, it's good. Hey, you know, it's, it's amazing, and you guys touch on it. The, the over-analysis early in the season, it's, it's, I get it. It's passionate football fans. But, you know, you go and look at across the league a little bit right now and, and understand right now that Minnesota's got one win, Green Bay's got one win, you know. Um, you know so there, there's a lot of Dave, team teams. Dave, Dave, My Dave, point Dave, is, Dave, is Dave, that Dave, early Dave. in the season like this, get, get ahead, John. You forgot about one team. The freaking Patriots have one win. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was my – I, I forgot. You're right. So, so that, that's my, my point is, is, is the over-analysis. But at, at the end of the day, I look at this and say, hey, what, what fans were looking for from this game and, – and, and by the way, both of these teams, you know, going in 0-2 were desperate, right? Giants were desperate for a win, but so were the Texans. And, and before the season – a lot of people were very high on the Texans. Sure. A lot of people. Yep. Right? So here they were. They were both 0-2, and we're on the road. And, you know, I just give Shermer and, and the new regime a lot of credit because, you know, there there's no more scholarships. And, and whatever you want to say, I think your point about Wheeler is, is fair, except to say that I, I think it goes a long way that – People down the roster, you know, you're not, you know, Odell can have a bad game and Barkley can have a bad game and Eli can have a bad game. But apart from a couple of those guys, anybody down the roster has got to earn their spot. You know, if you're, no, if you're a fullback and you don't that's make fair. your block, you're not going to be on the team and you Dave, know, that's a week fair. later. That's fair. No argument. And maybe that went into the, into the decision making. I can't tell you whether it did or not or how the locker room felt about it. But I do think in a more general sense that it is important to make sure the players understand you're accountable for how you perform in practice and on the football field during games. And I do think that's an important culture um, to have on a team. And I think, you know, here in the past sometimes there were certain players that might have been drafted high that, you know, hung around a long time and didn't really do a whole lot while they were around. And I agree. I think those days are over. And, and I think, you know, it may be something a little bit, Offer or or not, you know, so much as the X's and, and O's. But you, you see the locker room after the game, and you know maybe you guys saw a lot more than anybody else, and and being around the team the way you guys are. But you know, there's there's clearly a relationship there between Shermer and the team, sure. and 
Yeah. And and I think you saw that, you know, between game balls and between the way the the, the players and and he, again, you know, look at the at the end of the day, you got to win the game, X's and O's, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I think um, I think some of that is is helpful. And and I think what this what this game did for fans, at least for me, I've, I've watched it, you know, three times, and they've you know the, uh, since they played and they won all three of the times, which is nice. But um, they, you know, at the end of the day, you're looking for something to build on, and you know, you go into the Saints game and you say. Hey, you know what? It's going to be, a, you know, there's a lot of challenges when you think about the defense and you think about the linebackers covering, you know, the middle of the field against Drew Brees. I, I think that's, that's trouble. But at the same time, you know, Saints had an injury to their, to their cornerback, Patrick Robinson, who's got a high ankle sprain. Their secondary is beat up. You know, we need the offense to go toe to toe. And, sure. and, yeah. and I think what you saw last week is, you know, or yesterday, what you saw was, an offense that has the chance. They got to go out and play well, but they got the chance. And there's not, there's no JJ Watt on the Saints. They got they got one great pass rusher, you know, a rookie that they're trying to get going. But Down you know, court. it's a favorable matchup yeah. for the offense. First round pick, <laughs> you know, no, and it's a favorable won. matchup that they can that they can exploit. And the only way they're going to win is, you know, they've got to they've they've got to put up. You know they're going to have to score. Well, they Dave, here's the thing: well, the, the 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 team hasn't scored thirty since what 2014, is it now? It's like thirty five straight games without thirty. Th- points. Thank you, thirty five straight games yeah. without thirty points. So I think, and I'll give I'll give you my prediction on Monday: if the Giants want to win this football game against the Saints, it's time for that record to go away. Yep. Well, I, I, I think if there's any game you're, you're for right. if there's any game right. for that streak to end, it would be when you're playing well, the New Orleans Saints. The, the only I think other, it has to. The only other thing I would add, Dave, is you know Cameron Jordan's on the Saints. I don't know if you were necessarily taking him into consideration, but you know he's got four sacks already on the season. I wouldn't sleep on him. Well, he said they have one Davin good pass rusher. No, no, and I know. Davin well, I just wanted to clarify that right, he was yeah, referring yeah. to perhaps yeah. Cameron Jordan as opposed to yep. you know somebody else because that's the guy you still got to pay attention. Oh, to. Oh, yeah, he can play. Very disruptive. Yeah, he's pretty good. And Marshawn Lattimer is a pretty good corner too, by the way. Indeed. They got yep, some I, I, I totally agree. You, you, you guys are the best. You, you, you got, you know, the great part is for you guys is that you know you, you find so many extremes in, in in analyzing this stuff. And even though you guys you know know the team better than anybody, you're you're some of the most balanced and and, and you know analysts out there. So I really appreciate it. You Thank guys you, have man. a great day. I'll Thanks, talk Dave. to you soon. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks for the call. And that, that actually goes back to to Doug's call, who we tried to intercede on a couple times, but failed miserably. <laughs> um, <laughs> the extremes of Eli Manning is just... <laughs> Last week, half the callers said he couldn't play anymore, and they should have drafted somebody. Uh, and now this week, he's as good as Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> it's just funny to me. Like, yeah. why can't it just be, yeah, he's a good player. When things around him work, he can be really good. But, you know, when he struggles and the things around him maybe aren't so good. I mean, why does it have to be he's either the worst or he's the best? Yeah, it it's goes from crazy. one extreme to the other. Well, I mean, listen, the NFL's a week-to-week league. And yeah. fans also go back and forth week-to-week. You know, we were revisiting whether or not the Giants made the right choice at drafting Saquon Barkley because they gave up six sacks and that you need more than, you know, just obviously the elements around you. You also need a quarterback. Now, all of a sudden, Eli Manning has an efficient performance. Eli has some more in the tank. When he gets protection, he could be effective. And now we've steered clear of debating at nauseum whether or not the Saquon Barkley selection was right. I think, like anything else, you got to weather the storm. And... You know, the last caller, I believe, alluded to this. 
I always like to see the first quarter of the season before well, I almost there. Know, get a feel. No, and we are almost there. I'm not saying that you know we need to see 10 more games, but you just want to see at least a quarter of the season to maybe sure. try to see the identity of what this team is all about. And you know, right now, I'm still at the stage where it's Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I think we've seen some good, we've seen some bad, and we've seen some in between. But I'm still trying to get a feel for this team, and I think the team is trying to get a feel for itself as well. And, you know, keep in mind, you had a game where two new offensive linemen were in this contest. You had John Greco at center, even though he filled in for Jalapio at the end of the Cowboys game, and you had Chad Wheeler at right tackle. And, you know, we were talking so much, John, about maybe you need the first two or three games of the season because these guys didn't get a lot of reps in the preseason and so forth. Well, do we restart the clock now? Because now you're throwing in two more starters. So is the learning curve supposed to be extended? Or does the clock from the start of the season continue and after four games, hey, you still can look at this group as it is. I mean, that's something that I think remains to be seen because when you throw new guys in, whether they're veterans or not, you still need to account for Greco's now playing next to two guys that he may have not taken practice reps with all throughout training camp. And Wheeler wasn't necessarily getting every single rep next to Patrick Omame as well. No, Remember, zero actually. So Because Wheeler yeah. was used on the left side. So that's what I'm saying. Does the clock restart now with the offensive line? Well, that's the amazing thing to me. And, you know, and I think we went through this debate a long time with Flowers. Unless we haven't gotten more calls about that this week. By the way, we do have a couple open lines. A couple callers dropped off. You want to get in at 201-939-4513. Well, Sergio, don't call on a specific caller, by the way. You'll be next. I'm not mentioning his name. Okay, good. I, I'm not doing the Beetlejuice here. <laughs> um, and I was just very surprised how, you know, fans just assume, well, the Giants realized they made a mistake from the beginning, and that's why they put Chad Wheeler in. Well, if you watched practice during the summer, Flowers legitimately outplayed Wheeler. I mean, they made a point of telling, telling Eric Flowers when he reported for camp that it was an open competition for the right tackle spot. There's no reason for them to lie to him. So Wheeler was given every opportunity to try to win that job, and over the course of the summer, he wasn't able to do it. Now, over the course of the first two games, as Pat Trimmer said, um, they want to see what Wheeler can do. They probably think they know what they have in Eric Flowers. Let's get Wheeler in the game and see what he can do. And coaches are allowed to change their minds and give something new a try based on new information. So uh, I think people jump to conclusions and, and jump the gun. And as someone that watched every snap of practice this year and was like five feet from the field, I can tell you, even with the second group, Remember how everyone kept saying how Lorenzo Carter kept getting into the backfield and was disrupting people and getting after the quarterback and was so disruptive in practice? Well, who do, do you think know he was, going he was up against? lined up yeah. against in those practices? If he was lined up over left, or if he was lined up over right tackle, it was Chad Wheeler. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and listen, is it possible that they make another change? It's possible. I don't think this is necessarily yeah. the finished product. Mm -hmm with respect to the offensive line. So, you know, for those of you who think that now it's solidified and this is the group moving forward, I would certainly not go that far. I mean, I think John Greco did a really nice job. His familiarity with the offense has helped. But, you know, they did keep two other centers on the roster and Spencer Pooley joined the team late. Is it possible that they look to get him more and more acclimated with the offense? I wouldn't necessarily dismiss that from the equation as well. All right, let's go to Sergio in New Jersey as the call start to roll in now. What's up, Sergio? Hey, fellas. Happy Monday to y'all. Happy Same Victory um, Monday, Sergio. I just, great. I just wanted to give uh, two big comments. Yep. I wanted to give the game ball to the Giants coaching staff and also to Saquon Barkley. Uh, 
good choices. Primarily, I wanted to say the coaching staff did a great job. And being able to find a way to get the ball out of Eli Manning's hands a bit faster, I was extremely happy to see how they utilized the slants You're all game long. 100% right, Sergio. I thought especially in the first half in that first drive of the game, the way they got that ball out quick and worked the middle of the field was perfect. They strategized. 100%, yeah. and I just hope that that continues. The second comment I wanted to make, and it, and it goes to Saquon Barkley, I heard, I heard a stat about four days ago that he's averaging a negative four yards post-contact so far this season. And so far, he's at 216 yards for the season. And I think that's incredible. You mean he's averaging four yards after contact? Is that, is that what you're saying? No, no. He's averaging a negative four yards post-contact. You mean pre-contact? Before the contact. Okay, pre-contact. I got you. Yeah. Last week in week two, the Giants actually had more rushing yards after contact than before contact, which kind of tells you all you need to know about what the blocking was like. And their abilities, too, as individual players. Yeah, and the ability to Barkley. That, yeah. I think, Sergio, the thing that's two things have impressed me about Barkley. Especially, I thought in week one, he still danced a little bit. I thought the last yep. two weeks, he's been much more decisive in hitting the line of scrimmage and taking what's there. I've been very encouraged by that. And his tackle-breaking ability at the NFL level is I'm gonna throw war I'm gonna throw this out here and I know it sounds crazy. It's Barry Sanders esque. The way he's able it's to insane. bounce and slip off of tackles. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's he's insane. got a strong. And I can just imagine what he's able to so. produce once his offensive line is all on the same book. Sergio, that spin move that he did at the line of scrimmage yesterday where he was basically in a catcher's crouch and spun without putting his hand down and kept his balance. I have never seen a running back. And on top of that, he threw that the same defender down to the ground after the spin move. He threw him down with his elbow. It was crazy. So he's extremely strong, extremely talented. And those are the only two points I wanted to make. I'll definitely give time to the other callers. And I appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Sergio. Appreciate appreciate it. I don't know if it was the same play with the spin, but there was one play where he got such a strong base, John. Somebody came at him and he, like, ducked. The defender missed, and then he kept running. That was, I remember, one of the plays that jumped out to me, too. His tackle breaking has been an elite level, for, for, for lack of a better term. I mean, I think he's been great. I think Pro Football Focus tracks that stuff. I would have to see what they have ranked in terms of yards after contact for him. It's got to be at the top or near the top of the league. Emmett in Houston is up next. Hello, Emmett. Hey, how you doing, guys? Doing you, right, Emmett. Emmett, you must be talking all sorts of smack down there today, my man. <laughs> oh, man, I was talking crazy stuff. <laughs> I was at the game. You know, you have no idea. And let me tell you, I have never seen so many New York Giants fans, New York period, New York people period out there. I was talking to everybody. I felt like I knew the people. Nice. And Yeah, so yeah. So what I wanted to talk about today was, you know, a couple of things. Sure. Um, let's start with Eli Manning. Everybody, this whole week, the last week, the the week prior to it, everybody was talking smack about Eli. Eli don't got it no more. The arm, the this, the that. Well, I hope these guys had some type of amnesia and, and finally woke up this Sunday and realized, hey, this guy can actually play, and he's got a couple more years left in him. Now, yesterday, this guy was, what was he, what, like 24 for, for 30 or something? 25 of 29. 25 of 29. 25 of 29. This guy was accurate. Two touchdowns, no picks, perfect clean pocket for the most part. Come on. This is what we've been talking about. And Emmett, by the Everybody way, talking. and not even just this week, Emmett, on the season, 
one interception on a deflected pass. So that's exactly. that's good ball yeah. protection too. And the ball was exact, like you said, deflected, tipped, whatever. Yep. This guy, you know, in anywhere. New York, has always <laughs> kept his composure, never let nobody bring him down. This guy, it's like it's not, there's nothing that can be said no more about him because this guy has, you know, proved everybody wrong. I, I understand all his protections. They're 0-3 now. Yo, they have, the, if not one of the best pass rushers in the league. Yeah, they probably might not be playing for their potential right now, Merciless and all these guys. But I'm in Texas. I've been here for a couple of years. I've seen what they can do. You know, I don't want to hear those excuses. They have good pass rush. And I, I also want to shout out to Wheeler, because I'll be honest with you. Before I left the house and I saw that notification that Wheeler was going to play right tackle, I was telling my wife, I'm like, man, I don't even want to go anymore. She's <laughs> like, why? I'm like, I'm like, if they're putting Wheeler in for Eric Flowers, first of all, Eric Flowers won the job, you know, during the offseason. What makes you think Wheeler's going to freaking take care of J.J. Watt? And uh, I, I, and that's my fault. You know, I take that out. I, I honestly thought Wheeler was going to play back. And he did exceptionally well. Yeah, he got three sacks, J.J. Watt. But you know what? I, I, I went back. You know, I, I recorded the game. And I came back home and I watched it. He did not play bad at all. This guy, there was times where he was losing his footing and, you know, getting um, bum-rushed and, and, pu- and, and, and pushed back. But he gave uh, Eli that second or two that we've been asking for time to throw that ball. And, and, and it got completed every single time. Well, when and, Pat Shermer spoke to the media, I mean, one of the things he said that and jumped then we out got to him, run, man. Thanks and I appreciate the phone call, is that Wheeler did a good job finishing his blocks, especially in the run game. And he fought. He battled. So, you know, you give credit to a player for doing that. But at the same time, Shermer also, you know, noted that he felt he kept Wheeler out on an island at times. And, you know, that would be a coaching adjustment that they would wish to go back and tweak to not put him in that precarious spot against one of the elite pass rushers in the NFL to maybe give him assistance and so forth. And again, Wheeler performed, as Pat Shermer said in the press conference, in this conference call today, he did enough to allow the team to win. So to Shermer, that's a winning performance. It didn't kill the team where they couldn't overcome it. Correct, exactly. Which he was played, the case in previous He games. played well enough, especially in that first half, for the offense to function at a good level. And that's yeah. all you can ask for. Second half... He had some issues. Monty in San Antonio, he's up next. Hey, Mont. Hey, what's going on, guys? How are you doing? What's up, right, Monty? What do you got for us? Hey, hey so I'll echo Emmett's uh, um, words there. I was at the game yesterday, and, nice. I mean, it was like a home game for the Giants. Uh, we Big Blue travels well, for sure. They do. Um, but had a couple things. Um, so let me just say to all the fans out there who had concerns about Saquon Barkley being drafted, number two overall. Um, this guy is well worth that pick. I mean, I saw him, you know, I was at the draft when he got drafted. Uh, I drove up to Dallas for that. And now just seeing him in person, I mean, he's just he's just phenomenal. He's such a slippery guy uh, to tackle. He never gets tackled by the first guy. Um, and I'm just impressed by what I've seen so far, and I'm looking forward to the rest of his career. Um, the other thing, though, I, I, in yesterday's game, and I hadn't had an opportunity to go back and, and look at the tape yet. I'm um, still on my way home. Uh, but it just seems like the, the Houston players players were diving at the legs of the Giants players a lot. There's a lot of low low tackles. Uh, you know, Evan Ingram is, is one for sure. But, but Saquon's uh, tackle as well. 
what are your guys' thoughts on that? I honestly didn't notice that, Monty, watching the game. Um, and Saquon did get his bruised knee on a low tackle the first play of the game, and then Ingram hurt his knee, obviously. Yeah. And uh, they, they got the MRI back on that. They're still waiting on the severity of it. It'll, you know, it'll, it'll, it, they'll probably have to figure out a way to play with Adam for a couple weeks. We'll see exactly how long it's going to be uh, as we move forward. But I, I didn't necessarily notice that, Lance. No, that, neither did me. I. And Pat Shermer was asked about that in the conference call. Yeah. He was asked whether or not he Thank felt you, Monty. We got know, run some by. of the hits were dirty, and Shermer's response was he did not. He said guys just need to prepare to embrace for contact and protect themselves. And, you know, this is the way you got to look at it. Because of the new rules in the National Football League, John, if you're a defensive player, you can't hit a guy high, okay? Because you want to avoid the helmet-to-helmet hits. And... Where else are you supposed to try to bring a guy down? And if you hit somebody in the legs, you can't exactly fall on top of them with your full body weight either. Exactly. If so, you're going after the quarterback, of course. Which yes. Is the only thing that well, matters. referring to the Clay Matthews controversial plays. Yes. More, mm-hmm. We'll leave that for another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. But getting back to the point, <laughs> I understand the caller may be frustrated because yeah. two guys may have been banged up, suffered knee injuries, but... I'm not going to fault any Texans player for going low because they're in a precarious spot. They don't have much of a choice. And Shermer did say, by the way, that both Snacks Harrison and there were some rumors going around that he might have been hurt. He just bumps and bruises. He's going to be Wear fine. And, tear. and same for Saquon Barkley. So final call of the show. Norris is in Brooklyn. Norris only got about a minute to go. So I'm going to have to ask you to put the express on, okay? Okay, sounds good. Um, first of all, how are you doing, guys? Nice doing to be right. on the phone with you guys. Thanks for calling. Lance and John. Um, so I only had three really quick points, and yep. I get off the phone. Go ahead. Um, for one, the last caller kind of asked already. Um, it was about uh, Evan Ingram's injury. Um, just want to know because I've heard a couple of different reports saying that it was like a tear or a sprain. So do we kind of have any like real idea which it is? They have not announced any details on the injury, only that it's a knee, and they're trying to figure out the severity. If I had to guess, I would expect to be without him for a, a, at the minimum a week or two. Okay, and. Do you guys think that Apple, Eli Apple, and um, and Olivier Vernon will be available next week? Because Patch. with that high scoring offense, we probably would need those guys. Yeah, right? yeah. you get, yeah, you're gonna need them. Pat Shermer was cagey about that too. He said both guys were getting better. They were running around outside today. My feeling, and this is just my intuition, I feel better about Vernon than I do Apple. Okay, okay. And then my last point, and I want to make a shout out. Um, do you guys think that Chad Wheeler really made that much of a difference at right tackle to where the offensive line seemed like an entirely different line? Um, I'll take that last question off offline, and I want to say shout out to my wife, my daughter, Karen, and Nora. Love you guys. Hi, right, Nora. Hey, appreciate the phone call. If you're gonna shout out somebody, shout out the wife. Yeah, never a bad idea. No, I and that's another theory, Lance, that's been going around that. You know, putting Wheeler in was some type of gigantic domino effect where everyone else had so much confidence because he was out there and they didn't make mistakes. No, I don't buy that. Not at all. I don't buy it. Well, if you were to ask me which offensive lineman I thought had that type of impact, I'd probably lean more towards Greco than Wheeler. So would I. Because of what he pointed out at the line, the communication, working with Eli. You want to make a case for that because this was his first game that he actually started at center and went through an entire game with Eli Manning from start to finish, that to me is a more logical narrative than to say simply flipping out flowers for Chad Wheeler all of a sudden gave the offensive line overwhelming confidence. And again, in week two, folks, it wasn't flowers getting beat one-on-one that was the problem with the offensive line and the pass protection. It was missed assignments and bad protections and people not being on the same page with the scheme and communication that created free runners to the quarterback. That didn't happen this week once. There were no free runners. Saquon Barkley physically missed 
a defensive lineman once, which made it look like a free runner, but they actually did have a hat on a hat on that particular play. And I don't see how you can say because the right tackle all the way on one side of the line was different. Guys didn't screw up the protection schemes. It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, I just don't buy it. Yeah, because even if you go back to that Cowboys game, John, and I understand sliding as a unit can very well impact the opposite side of where you're lined up on, but Will Hernandez had a, that breakdown, Solder which led did. to yep. opportunities. Taco Charlton, Nate Solder. So mm-hmm. now you're going to tell me that Nate Solder's worried about what's going on on the left side, the fact that Chad Wheeler's on the right <laughs> side. Now all of a sudden he's going yeah, to execute better. Come on. It doesn't hold it. Come on, people. That's a stretch. It's a stretch. And that Eli was so much more comfortable because he knew that he had Chad yeah. Wheeler there instead of Eric Flowers, that he played so much better. Yeah. It's, it's nonsense. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, as Lance said before, it's an easy scapegoat to say, oh, we won because of A. It's not that simple. It never is. The losses are never that simple, and wins are never that simple, despite the fact you want them to be. Before we say goodbye, I want to remind you one last time that Big Blue Kickoff Live was presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you tomorrow, 1.30, Big Blue Kickoff Live. You and Russ? No. I think it's Russ and... Paul? Paul, not, maybe. It's not Russ and me. I'm so not sure. Well, it's not Russ and me either. <laughs> so, could be Feagles. Could be Feagles. Maybe it is Feagles. Yes. It'll be Big Blue Kickoff Live with people that aren't us. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Have, Have a, a good, good one. one.